Hey guys, welcome back to part two of congratulations. You're a service supervisor manager. Uh, today's podcast is actually about what now? Um, first part was about now what? Uh, you know, what are you going to do? How does a service, superman- uh, service supervisor manager work? You know, what does he do? He or she, his roles, her roles. And today it's going to be what now? You know, what, are we, what do we need to know about the future moving into the role and the things that are involved in supervision and management? As always, they're brought to you by SolderWeld, the guys over at www.solderweld.com, makers of hot block round rod, uh, 15% uh, round rod solder, um, multi-sol, alloy sol, and alcop. So check them out at solderweld.com. The uh, the last podcast was about becoming a service supervisor manager, um, the things that you might be seeing, the things that expectations, and I really, really, really focused on communication because communication is really everything when you're a supervisor manager, whether it's verbally, it's done through pictures or through emails or through presentation and training. So I want to talk a little bit again about communication and how important it is. The reason being is, is, as a service supervisor manager, communication is everything, and your powers and your words. For example, I get really upset sometimes about a uh, something that's gone on to the day, and I'll write an email. So emails are very important uh, in, in your day-to-day, and most companies operate through emails, whether it's on your, your smart device, your mobile phone, your tablet, or your laptop, or maybe an office-based computer. So one of the things that you always want to do when you when you become the service supervisor manager is create a signature. And most emails will allow you, uh, devices will allow you to create an email. You know, nothing worse than seeing an email from a mobile device and it says, sent from my iPhone. You know, you want to change that. You want to change it so it says, regards or best wishes or thank you, your name, the company name, the address, a phone number, maybe a website or something, so that the person, when they read the email, they know who it's coming from and how to contact you. People are, you know, they're, they're, they get hundreds of emails a week, sometimes in my case, hundreds of, hundreds of emails a day. Uh, some people, uh, they live off their email and everything is based on that, that uh, email and they'll be like, God, where did this email come from? Oh, it came from Mike. There's this contact info. So really make sure that on your cell phone, your mobile devices, your tablets, you change that little basic that says sent from iPhone or sent from iPad. And you can get inside settings and change it to regards. And mine usually says regards, Mike Mayberry, custom cooling, the address, and then a phone number, and maybe a website or a fax machine or something like that. So get into the habit of of writing emails because emails are huge. Also, remember when you send an email, that email is a legal documentation. So you can't write in an email like, listen, employee A, I think you're a horrible employee. I think you're nuts. I think that you suck. You know, you can't write emails about somebody in a derogatory term or tone because those emails can be used against you in case of um, maybe an employee relation, uh, something with a labor board, uh, maybe there somebody files a complaint of harassment, somebody files a complaint of bullying, and before you know it, this email pops up and you're like, oh my God, what did I just do? So it's really, really important that you follow uh, email protocol and keep everything on a professional level.
The next thing you're going to want to think about is the tone of your email. When people write in a cap lock, which is they'll, they'll hit the cap lock button, that's the same as, as being upset, or some people will say, you're yelling at me. Why are you yelling at me in an email? So really watch how you, how you word an email and try not to, to type in cap locks. Now, some people just do it all the time. I've got a client that every email comes out in cap locks, and it's only because the, the um, a system that they use for documentation and work orders and stuff requires you to work in cap locks. And so he just, every email comes out in cap locks. In the beginning, I thought, oh my God, why is he yelling at me? And only to come to find out that's just normal. It's just because he's, he forgets and he just leaves it in a cap lock. But you want to make sure that you write your email professionally, no profanity. You want to use uh, a spell check. Uh, sometimes it's the F7 key, you'll F7 key it, and then it'll do spell check or the word will show up with a red line underneath it reminding you like, mm, this word could be spelled wrong. So make sure you use spell check. The next thing is, is that when you, when you write an email, read through it three or four times to make sure you're conveying the message that you want to convey. If, if you were upset and you typed in cap locks and you used profanity, and, and trust me, I've, I've used a heavy finger or heavy hands when I write an email and I'm really upset or frustrated about a situation and I'll write this email and oh I want to get my frustrations out. And the sometimes I'll take that email and I'll shrink it down in the taskbar, meaning that I'll just save it and I won't send it. And I'll go about my day and maybe I'll go to lunch and then I come back and I'll pull that up and I'm like, mm, God, I'm glad I didn't send that email. And I'll erase the whole thing because sometimes just getting your frustrations out in an email is important because, you know, you got your frustrations out and it allows you to cool off and come back and write another email basically saying the same thing, but not so heavy handed. So really make sure that you're writing the email you're, you're not sending it in a heavy tone. You're not cap locking it. You're, you're making sure you spell check. No swear words. You have a nice signature. The email looks good. Now you can take classes on emailing and learn how to email or come, you know, maybe ask somebody in the office, your office manager or your boss and say, I don't really understand email. I know you want me to send these, but can you help me? Cause I don't really understand how to write an email professionally and make it look professional and go to them or maybe even go to a community college somewhere and take a, a one-night or two-night class on email and sentence structure. Um, and, it, you know, it, sometimes it's covered in some business courses that you can uh, be taken through a community college or I mentioned like Fred Pryor. Fred Pryor will have some emailing uh, courses in there. So you can write a professional email and it looks great. And it really sets the tone for you as a service supervisor and a manager. The next part of communication is, and I was really surprised by it, was employee files and confidentiality. When I became a service supervisor and a manager, it, it opened up employee files in regards to, you know, maybe I have to do a disciplinary action, Maybe I have to do a performance review. Um, maybe an employee says, hey, I want to buy some tools. Um, you know what? I want to buy some tools. Maybe he's got some documentation regarding like a worker's comp claim. And you, you have the ability to get into an employee's file. 
What always surprised me in the very beginning of supervision, supervisory and, and management was this, you know, again, I'm going to bring up John White. John would say, there, hey man, you're going you're gonna to see some things that you maybe didn't expect. And he was right. I, you know, you, when you work alongside technician A, technician B, they will usually only tell you the good things they did. Oh man, I, I diagnosed this unit and I killed it. Oh, it was great. I found this burned wire. They'll never tell you the bad things that happened like, oh, I got caught stealing. Like nobody, no tech will walk up the day. How'd your day go? Oh, totally screwed up, got written up. And because I got caught stealing, nobody, I haven't met a tech alive that hasn't, you know, has, has done that. They will only talk about the positive though. They won't talk about the negative. And what I mean by that is you will be getting into employee files and you'll, for whatever reason, you could be reading something. You could be like, um, you need to put something in this file and legally you'll be able to open it up and see things in there that are confidential and there could be like wage garnishments for a divorce or maybe there is child support and you never knew that. Like he never said to you, yeah, I got, I got garnished for wages and, and now I've got to have money taken out and uh, they're going to be hitting my paycheck to pay back taxes. Like you would have never known that because he's never going to say that stuff to you or she's never going to say, you know what, I, I've, um, I owe you know, $25,000 in back taxes. I mean, some something crazy, and you're going to be like, what? Like, how did that show up? How come he never said anything to me? Well, honestly, he doesn't need to, and she doesn't need to. It's it's none of, really is none of your business. But when you get into the employee files, the last thing you want to do is, you know, you get promoted from a service tech to a supervisor you, or manager, and then you get those employee files, and you by chance you open them up, you start reading through them. Is to call that guy on the way home or that gal on the way home and go, "Oh my God, dude, you never told me that. Oh, that totally sucks. Why didn't you say something?" Yeah, honestly, it's confidential. It's not to be discussed. It's not to be shared with people in the office. It's nobody's business but yours and the employees. But it's not your place to bring it up and slap them in the face with it and say, oh my God, dude, you're an idiot. I didn't know that you had another kid or you didn't pay your taxes or that you weren't paying your divorce and now you're, now you're doing wage garnishments or whatever. That's none of your business to bring that up. It will be in his files or her files and it's to stay there. It's not to be discussed. It's confidentiality. Those are things part of confidentiality and confidentiality agreements that are really nobody's business but yours and the employees and payroll. And there's a couple other people, but it's never to be discussed and it's never to be brought up in an open forum. The, the next part of service managing that is so important besides communicate and confidentiality, and I think it really is like one of the biggest things I had to learn was profit and loss. In in part one, we spoke about profit and loss, that a service manager, service supervisor, and a dispatcher, they really control the day-to-day operations of the company. They're the ones that control the cost. They can really make or break a business. When you're a super supervisor manager and you've moved into that position, Profitability of a business is really huge because without profitability, the doors won't stay open. So a lot of times I'll go to my boss or the owner uh, and say, hey, so-and-so, 
Can you explain to me how the company runs on profit? What type of profit margins do we need? Um, you know, what do I need to do to stay profitable in the company? You know, how are we to make money? Can you help me? Can you help me with that? I haven't met an owner yet that hasn't said, no, no, I want to help you. Like all of them will say, yes, I'll help you. Let's talk about financials. Let's put Wednesday aside. Let's sit down for a couple of hours and break some service tickets out. I want to show you what I look for. Service tickets are everything, whether you're flat rate or you're in a commercial application where you're, you're on quoted jobs or bid jobs. Profitability is everything. For example, you could be flat rate, could be quoted, uh, a job is bid for X amount of hours or X amount of dollars, and the technician goes on site, and let's say it's a compressor. And in that compressor quote, he has a compressor, there's a dryer, there is, uh, he puts in new refrigerant, a welding charge, a braze charge, you know, recovery fee, maybe there's some oil reclaim, a hazmat fee, you have to bring the oil back, reclaim the oil for, for hazmat and for uh, EPA regulations. I mean, however your company works. The technician goes out and does the job in eight hours. He forgot to put the contactor in. He decided to put in some acid away. The compressor, he added additional copper tubing, some elbows, Maybe he ran out of acetylene, so he had to go to the parts house, pull off the job, go to the parts house if he doesn't have spare tanks. Um, he, oh my God, there's some burned wiring on the contactor. I've got wiring. All those little extra things that were not quoted into the job, that comes out of the profitability. So it's really important that you either work with your quote team or you, if you're the one doing the quotes, that you really watch the parts and read every quote. Hey, got a compressor in here. Why aren't we doing the contactor? Hey, technician A, I noticed in here that the compressor is grounded. Okay, you don't have any acid away. You're not doing an R11 flush. Oh, man, I forgot to put all that in there. I, I forgot. Well, that could be hundreds of dollars lost. And... And that could be the difference between make or break on a business. You really have to watch the quote process, or if you're flat rate, you have to really look at the items that are added to a job that weren't part of the flat rate. Now, flat rate and quoted repairs, they parallel each other in costs, but it's still the same. You have X amount of time to do X amount of job with X amount of parts, and if things are added to it, it may not take you up to the next level, like you could be at level three, but all of a sudden this you're adding a reversing valve and you're adding this and this, and that could take you to a level four and added an additional 300 bucks. If he doesn't say those things and that technician A does it anyways and you're not at the next level, the next price point, you could be losing out on revenue and the job is not profitable. So it's really important to read the quotes Break them down. Make sure that all the items that you need are captured. Now, if you're an electrician, it's the same thing. Technician A is going to be replacing a breaker. Okay, he gets in there, replaces the breaker. He doesn't say anything that there's burned wiring. He doesn't say that the wiring has gone to ground inside the conduit, so he's got to pull a new EMT. You really got to look at it and say, okay, what am I capturing all the costs? Am I capturing all the parts? Is this job going to be profitable when it's done? It doesn't matter the trade or what it is, whether it's a plumber, electrician, a carpenter, 
air conditioning, refrigeration, doesn't matter. It's, there's still parts that are involved and labor that's involved, and you have to make sure that you capture all that stuff in the quote so that it can be sold to the client and he can approve it or she can approve it and the job stays profitable. What also kills um, profitability is not reading the service tickets. Now, usually the billing lady will read the service tickets, or in some cases, or most cases, the service ticket will come back at the end of the at the end of the week, and service managers will read through it. It's really important that you read through what your tech is writing, because for me, I like to see the technicals. I replace the compressor. Uh, I check superheat. I check subcooling. I check delta T. I checked amps. Model number of the unit is there. Model number and serial number of the compressor, especially the old one is there. The new one is there. He or she has replaced the contactor. Um, he replaced the refrigerant. And then, he, you know, they're writing all this stuff down. And they get involved in the technical part. But then something gets lost. And you're, the billing ladies, a lot of times billing ladies, especially if you're a quoted repair, will only bill what they see on the invoice. And you're like, reading through it and holy crap he left out the dryer the nitrogen the evacuation charge he he left out the the welding charge the oil fee he left out the recovery fee when you add all that stuff up it could be a couple hundred bucks and so that gets lost because of billing lady she's reading she has x amount of time to write an invoice or get out a bill so that it can be sent out Especially today, most clients like to see an invoice in 24 to 48 hours. So it's really important that she's trying to get all that stuff done or he's trying to get all this stuff inputted into the software system so that they can get this billing done and get out in a timely manner. So read through all your service tickets. Read through all, um, make sure the, the parts are captured and ex- all the little points are captured in there because that's lost revenue. The other thing too is, is that when you read the service ticket, it allows you it allows you to see what your tech is doing. Technician A may be a really great uh, technician and he writes down on the service ticket replace compressor. I've seen it multiple times. Replace compressor. Is that a $1000 job? Replace compressor. No. The client is going to want to see a $1000 ticket. John used to say the higher the more the more high dollar the ticket the more expensive the ticket, the more information you need. Nothing worse than seeing a quote to replace a unit at $5,500 and the tech writes replaced unit. You know, the client's going to want to see, uh, disassembled the unit, broke away all the ductwork, uh, crane arrived at 0800, craned off the unit, uh, set new unit, hooked up all new ductwork, installed new disconnect, all new seal tie, electrical, um, filled out warranty paperwork and job card on site, um, uh, started system, verified operations, all operations normal, unit rated at 35 amps, unit running at 29, you know, pressures this, delta T that, subcooling this, you know, cleaned up mess, swept roof, um, cleaned up debris, all systems normal at departure. That's a $5,500 ticket. So you want to make sure that your that your technicians are capturing all the information on the job, um, and they're doing it correctly because that also aids in the warranty. 
Um, if you're doing a compressor replacement, a lot of times they're going to have you fill out a startup sheet. And so that startup sheet is really helpful because if a tech does a startup sheet and he comes all the way down and he gets down to superheat, especially in an air conditioning company, and he writes down superheat is at three degrees, whoa, 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 three degrees, that's your time to call up the tech and go, what do you mean it's at three degrees? And he's like, oh, that's what I read, superheat is three degrees. Well, bro, that, that could be the reason why that first compressor failed. We need to back up. We need to go back and look at the unit. If you're replacing a motor, you're pulling a circuit, and the wiring, the, the number 10 wire, and, and I'm going to be totally wrong, but let's say the number 10 wire is rated at X amount of amps, and he's testing the load, testing the circuit, and those amps exceed what a, 10, a number 10 wire is rated for. Whoa, back up. Now we know why that wire burned inside the conduit. We need to back up. Why is it exceeding the amp draw? Is that part failed? Is the length of run too long? Is the conduit on the roof? You know, is the wire size correctly sized for the load? So that information is huge because then it creates what? If you don't capture it, warranties and callbacks. Warranties and callbacks are killer to business. Now, even though a business will put warranties in there and they'll cost it out into the profitability, reading the service ticket 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 excuse me tickets is huge because I was going to say tickets the tickets are huge because again back to the air conditioning company if you're three degrees of superheat now you know what may have damaged that other compressor because there's nothing worse to let that three degrees of superheat run and then the next compressor is damaged and you're like what and you go back and you're like oh my god we didn't i saw the notes but we didn't stop the job or we didn't get back out there maybe you've got broken duct work or crushed duct work or you've got a bad indoor fan motor or the filters are dirty or the indoor coil is clean. There could be any or a bad TXV. There could be any number of reasons why you have a low superheat. And that's it's important to go back and get with the customer and say, hey, Mr. Customer, we replaced the compressor. We found a three degrees of superheat. Now we know it killed a compressor. We need to go back and diagnose your system a little further. We're going to check everything out and see what's going on. And it may generate a second quote. If it generates a second quote, that's fine. But you're protecting the company. You're keeping your profit and loss in check. And at the same time, you're giving the customer value. Because the last thing that customer wants is that new compressor to fail and be without air conditioning. And he's, and he's going to be mad. They're going to be like, oh, you just produced that compressor. Why is it down again? This is a recall. This is a callback. I still don't have air. I've got to have it fixed. So it's important that when you read the service tickets, you look for the technical parts because that's huge and that totally controls profit and loss. The next part of it, that profit and loss, is maybe a P&L. Now, I am not the greatest P&L guy. And there's different... Uh, ways to read P&Ls and there's different P profit and then P&L stands for profit and loss. So when you get with the owner and he says, hey Mike, got to show you the P&L. Okay. And he shows you the P&L. If you don't understand it, that's your time to say, I have no idea what I'm looking at. Can you teach me how to read our P&L? Most owners will teach you that. They'll say, hey, this is what I look for. I look for this and this and this and this and this. And then you're like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, my my money coming in is more than my go money going out. Um, you know, we've got a million dollars. We have $500,000 owed. 
we have a million bucks in the bank, we have, um, you know, we have uh, $500,000 in uh, receivables, and we have $250,000 in payables, and, you know, I mean, he can break it all down, and you're like, oh, God, that's great. Then you get out to the truck, and you're looking at it going, I have no idea what he meant. So it's important you understand what, what you're looking at. The P&L is important because that's really how a company operates. And so there's little things that can really destroy profitability. It could be uniforms. It could be cell phone usage. It could be tools purchased, parts purchased, truck stock. There's all sorts of things in there that could really ruin a P&L. And he's going to come to you and he's going to say, you know, Mike, You've got to control cost, bud, and it's all right in your P&L, and you're going to be like, I don't understand it. Or you could get to the point and say, okay, and he's going to say, here, I'm going to leave this with you. You need to break this down, and you need to come to me and say, hey, this is how we're going to fix it. One of the areas that a lot of companies look at is cell phone usage. You could have technician A that stays under his minutes, but technician B goes over the minutes and really wipes out the entire phone plan because all day long this guy is on the phone. Blah, 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 blah. And it also gives you an indication. Is he on the phone so much that he's not actually getting his job done? And sometimes you can track his cell phone usage to callbacks because his he's on the phone so much he's not paying attention to the job. And you want to look at that. Or he's using data as his GPS, or he's, or he's sitting on the rooftop listening to Spotify music, or the HVAC Reefer Guy podcast. Yeah, him, I love him already. But no, the HVAC Reefer Guy podcast, and he's burning data. Now, most plans today are unlimited, but you may be in a spot or a company that doesn't allow unlimited data or limited talk. So it's important that you look at the cell phone plan, because if you have a tech driving that plan over, those minutes could really be at a premium and cost you a lot of money. That's when you need to go to him and say, hey, bud, do you realize a cell phone, our business phone, is for business only? You're streaming a lot. Like, if you want to stream music on the job, use your own phone. Don't be using my work phone. You know, don't be using that that uh, work phone to be talking to your wife all the way home in the truck. Use your own phone. So it's important that you look at those costs. Tool purchases are huge. Sometimes guys will slip in tool purchases into a job that weren't there. Um, oh, all of a sudden you're looking at an invoice and it's 2025 by two filters. I've got some coil cleaner. I've got some belts. And nope, there's a Klein screwdriver. Where did that Klein screwdriver come from? And you, get, you call him up and he's like, oh, yeah, man, I needed that screwdriver for this job. No, that's a tool. So you really have to make sure that you watch for that stuff because the filters and the coil cleaners, and the belts, they were built into the job, but that Klein screwdriver wasn't. Does it happen all the time? Not all the time, but does it happen? It absolutely does because it's happened to me many, many times where tools are slipped into a job or the tech didn't want to call and get a tool PO. I'm already there. Crap, I don't have time. Here, just, just throw those tools in there and I'll work it out with the office. And it never gets worked out. The tech is on the job. He forgets. You get the invoice. There's $100 in tools purchased that were not part of the job. So you read every single invoice to make sure that you're capturing funds. Truck stock and inventory is the next part about watching profitability. Truck stock is huge. There's a reason why you go into most parts houses and there's a popcorn machine and there's a soda fountain or there's donuts every morning 
or they're having free, they have hot dog Wednesday or corn dog Tuesday. They're bringing those texts in and texts know. They know, your guys know when Parts House Hay A is having Hot Dog Tuesday. And they know when Corn Dog Thursday is there and they know when Donut Monday is there. They know, right? Because you used to be a tech once and you're like, going across town to get me a donut. Oh, it's, talk, it's Taco Tuesday. I'm going into Supply House B because it's Taco Tuesday. You guys remember that and techs know. And the reason that these parts houses do that stuff is to bring them in, have them mill around and buy parts. Now, many companies I've worked for in the past do not allow their service techs into a parts house. And all parts are ordered and shipped to the job. They're shipped to the tech's home. They could be shipped to the shop. But the, the, the bottom line is a lot of companies I've worked for will not allow a tech into a parts house because they buy stuff they don't need. I really, I really want to make sure that you guys understand a lot of this is my opinion, but it's from years and years and years of service managing, over 20 years of service managing and supervision that has, I've shown over and over again that profitability um, can really be tied to truck stock. So if you ever get a chance, and let's say you have a meeting and you have 10 guys, bring all 10 guys in, all 10 guys will have different truck stocks. Now it may be because technician A is the chiller tech, well, he's going to have different stuff than technician B, who is the package unit guy, and technician C is the residential guy, and he's going to have all completely different parts than tech A and tech B. But what if you're a company that all does the same work? You're all retail commercial air conditioning, or you're all residential, and all your techs have something different. That's really important. I can't tell you, uh, I brought in a van, let's say for an inventory. He comes into the shop and he's got 15 of the same capacitors. And you're like, what? 15 of the same capacitors? How are you moving that many capacitors during the day? And then you look at technician Bean, he's got four. And you're like, hey, how can you get the job done at four? Dude, I'm in a parts house like every other day stocking. I don't need 15 of that and 20 of that. So maybe when you do your inventory, and when technician C says, hey, I need to go buy a bunch of 10, 370 micro capacitors, you know, microfarad capacitors, maybe that's your time to go, you know what, technician A's got 15. I'm going to take 10 of his out. You only need five. And I'm going to give you, technician C, four or five of those. And technician B, I'm going to give you three or four of these. And I'm going to spread the wealth out. And you're going to tell tech A, no more, man. Like, no more of 15 of this and 20 of that. Now, technician C doesn't have to go to the parts house. You spread out the inventory and you save money. So I really recommend in the in this slow months, wherever you live, in the country you live or state you live, or you know whether up in Canada or wherever, that yearly you bring the trucks in one at a time and you do an inventory and you see what's inside their vans. And you do it at different times of the year because the techs will know every November Mike's calling us in for inventory. And I've actually seen techs pull stock out and put it in their garage, come into inventory, and then, you know, everything's great. And then he goes back out and he shoves all the stock back in there. I've shown up on jobs and said, hey, bud, what's going on? Oh, I'm doing this compressor. I'm down to truck clean. Great. Let's open the doors up. And he's like, what? What, what do you mean open the doors up? Yep. Time to open the doors. Uh, I want to see what's inside your van. And they get nervous. They're like, well, why do you need to look in the van? Well, first off, it's my van. 
which it is. It's you represent the company. It's my van. I want to make sure that you got your safety gear. You have your hard hat. You have your safety jacket, that your insurance is up to date, that your registration is up to date. You know, you can do a vehicle inspection anytime. It doesn't have to be at a specific time. And you can really see what's inside that tech's van or what's going inside his truck when he's kind of caught off guard. Now, is it kind of stupid to do it? Yeah, some there's a trust factor built into it. You know, and I never grind a guy for a dirty van. I'm like, oh my God, dude, this van is horrible. I'll, I'll grind a guy when it looks like that every single time. And it may be that he's a really busy money-making tech and I'm not going to grind him as hard. But it does give you a chance to see what his van or truck looks like during any given day at any given time. So profitability with truck stock is huge. And you'll, like I said, you'll see a lot of companies focus on truck stock, truck purchases, what's bought by the tech. Sometimes they'll say, no more purchases this month. Um, everything's got to come through me because I've got to watch costs. Because the owner has come to you and said, right now we don't have a lot of money coming in. We can't be buying stuff we don't need. We need to slow down on truck stock. We need to run lean. We need to run profitable. A lot of times companies will say, service managers will say, every truck stock purchase has got to come through me. And that's fine when you're a small company and you're managing four or five techs. When you get 30, 40 techs, you can't run 30, 40 techs through you every single time because you'll never get off the phone. But it is important to know what your techs are buying. And so that P&L will say that. It'll, it'll, it'll say parts, again, cell phone, uniforms, you know, whatever it is, uh, truck maintenance, really high on truck maintenance. Maybe truck maintenance is high because they're not rotating the tires and technician A is going through more tires than he needs to because he's not doing maintenance on the van. So all of that stuff plays into it. So as you move forward as a service supervisor, it's really important. So let's kind of little, little recap a little bit. Uh, you get promoted. Communication is key. Stay away from the energy drinks. Don't become a lunatic. That was in part one. Part two, communication. Again, confidentialities are huge. Don't use what a technician has uh, in his or her employee file against them. It's nobody's business but yours, hers, his, and human resources. Um, you're going to watch what you say in emails. How you write an email. Don't write in cap locks. Don't write with a heavy finger. Don't swear in emails. Don't send a scathing email out. Don't send it out to everybody in the company. You know, take a chill pill. Shrink it down in the taskbar. Go have a soda. Go walk around the block. Go have lunch. Go deal with a different problem. Cool off a little bit. Come back. Raise back the email. Um, pull it off the taskbar. And then be like, hmm. Hmm. I... I shouldn't have sent this and delete it. Sometimes deleting an email is great. And then rewriting it again in a different tone. Look at the P&L, work with the owner of the company and manage company costs. Manage the cost of the business. Companies have to run, but they have to run tight. They have to run lean and they have to run profitable. So work with your boss, work with the owner, work with the general manager of the company. Understand how P&L works. Make sure that, you know, truck pur uh, tool purchases, parts purchases, inventory 
are all in a line with where the owner wants it to be because he's driving X amount of money. He's saying to himself, I need to drive an 8%. I need to turn 8% net. You know, I have to turn um, a 10% profit at the end of the year. And he knows the numbers that he's going to get to. And as you go along in service managing, he'll explain or she will explain more and more about the day-to-day so that you'll understand where you need to be to get to that number that needs to be profitable. My boss that I work for now, um, Jerry, his name is Jerry, is probably the nicest boss I've ever had. He, when he's is most upset, he's still really calm. And Jerry has a way of doing business that I absolutely love. Um, he conveys the message about what I tell people that when you feel good about yourself, people will produce good results. He totally lives by that. He puts his family first instead of the business and when he comes to work, he's all business, but he makes a point to ask about your day, how things going, how you doing, bud? What's going on? How you doing? How's the business? And he'll share the P&L, but he'll, I'll ask him, well, how are we doing today? We're doing great. Just keep doing what you're doing. Okay. You know, I've been doing it a long time and I know exactly what he needs from me. He said something to me a while back when I first got hired on. He, I said, what am I supposed to be doing for you? Like, what would you like me to do? And this is way down because I've managed a lot of companies. And he said, you know, if I got to tell you what to do, I hired the wrong guy. I was like, that was so profound because he was right. I know how to be profitable. I know what to do to make money. I know how to get us to where we need to get to it. And I go about doing it. But he, he never makes me feel bad when I've done something wrong and never makes me feel second class or, you know, really uh, beats me down when we're not as profitable. He's just like, hey, bud, we got to talk. We got some problems we need to deal with. And this is how we're going to do it. The reason I say these things is because as you have employees, you know what? Don't take out the office frustrations on them. Treat them the way you want to be treated on a daily basis. So good people, when they feel good about themselves, produce good results. It's the same way with techs. When they feel good in the field, you can tell because they're doing great work and they're doing great things and they're representing the company in a great way. So really make sure that when you communicate with your employees, you communicate in a positive way, you still get across what you need them to understand, but you don't bully beat them down because honestly, there's no reason for it. So that's a huge shout out to Jerry. I love everything about him. He's a great boss and I appreciate all he does. As you go further down in your supervisory role, service manager role, there'll be new tasks thrown at you. Again, a CLM is, that's not my job. And a CLM is a career limiting move. It, you know, they're going to put tasks on you and just take them because they're, they're new roles, they're new tasks, they're new challenges. And just take them and learn and grow because it'll better you. Now, one of the things that I've learned as I've gotten older is I always look for my replacement. People say, that's the craziest thing. Why do you want to find somebody to replace you? Well, I can't do the things that Jerry wants me to do if I am stuck back here in position A, especially when Jerry wants me to do position B. So over the years, as I've matured as a service manager, I always look for my replacement. And I've promoted people 
into positions that they're uncomfortable in or into positions I think they would be great in because I know their capability. So always be looking for your replacement and promote from within because you're the future of the company. You're the future of the owner's business. Uh, They're the future of HVAC. They're the future of electrician. They're the future of blue collar. So I've learned as I go along, I always try to find my replacement. And I've got some awesome replacements right now that have been promoted to supervisors and been promoted to service managers and they're killing it. And the guys over the years that I've promoted, they're doing awesome things for awesome companies and I couldn't be more proud because I gave them that opportunity to move into a role that they were uncomfortable in or they're new in. And those are the things, they're, they're the future. So, you know, I'm 55 years old, um... I'll be 56 this year in 2019. I'm always looking for replacements because of the future of the trades. As always, I'm going to end this podcast now. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, just reach out to me through HVAC Reefer Guy. That's H-V-A-C-R-E-F-E-R Guy, G-U-Y, at gmail.com. And I'll answer everything. Um, there you can post any questions or comments or if you want to get a hold of me or like, hey man, uh, you know what, I don't really understand this. Can we talk? I give my phone number out all the time. So we'll get a hold of you. We'll talk it out and we'll, we'll help you through. We'll help you get to the next level. As always, be good humans. Uh, we all walk on the same planet. We all breathe the same air. We all walk on the same dirt. So be good humans and be kind and be nice to each other. And work safe, be safe. Safety is so huge with profitability because when your employees are not working safely and they get injured, those worker comp claims go right up against your profitability. So really make sure that you know your workers comp, your your techs are working safe because there's things about insurance and profitabilities that if you aren't working safe, your workers comp rates go up and that is right against your bottom line. Make sure to get a hold of your owner to talk about workers comp claims or your HR department because safety is so huge. That's why I say all the time to work safe, be safe. So as always, work safe, be safe, be good humans, and we'll see you next time.